Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. While you are there in 1 Corinthians 1, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 15 and give you an understanding of what Easter is from the words of the Apostle Paul. He writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the Twelve, and that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What Paul is sharing with us here in that 15th chapter is basically a synopsis, a a concise statement of all that we are celebrating today, Easter. That Jesus died, that as He went to the cross, willingly allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross, and to die in our place, He was buried, and then on the third day, a Sunday, He arose from the grave. That's Easter. Easter is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh, arising from the dead, giving us eternal life. Now, the sad thing is, is that as I share that with you, and that is the reality of Easter, you could sit here and you can have one of two reactions to it. You can react to what I'm saying by hearing that and saying, yes, that is what I believe. That is what I hold to. Easter is my hope. The hope of the resurrection. The hope of salvation because he arose from the grave. And that is the reaction I want you to have. But you could also react to it like most of the world does and say, well, that's a nice fairy tale, George. Somebody dying and then coming back to life. It's never happened before. Give me a break. That's just pure foolishness. In fact, that's what a lot of our world is reacting. In fact, there was a program on your TVs talking about how this is all just a myth. There's no way that he could have arisen from the grave. There's no way that he could do that because we found his bones. Needless to say that they've been shown to be not true, biased in their opinion, but that's the attitude. And many people believe that what we're celebrating today is pure foolishness. And you know what? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and see that that's what the Apostle Paul says. That what we celebrate is what the world would term the foolishness of God. 
And we're going to see how he uses what the rest of the world calls foolishness to bring salvation to our lives. So I want you to notice with me verse 18 of chapter 1. And notice what the Apostle says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What we see here is God showing us that he uses what the world would call foolishness to bring about salvation. So I want you to notice a couple things here. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 18, we're going to see the view of the cross. Our world basically has two views of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And he tells us that in verse 18. Notice what he says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is power. So the first thing I want you to notice about how the world views the cross is this. First of all, To the lost, it is pure foolishness. To the lost, it is pure foolishness. If you were to ask the average person in our secular society today, if you were to get downright nitty-gritty with them, or if you were to listen to some of the folks who are on the television shows and, and all of the discussions and so forth, the concept of the salvation of the world resting on one man going to a cross and dying there in our behalf, being buried and three days later rising from the dead, they would say to you that that's just plain crazy. They would say to you that it is foolish. But that's what Paul said. To those who are perishing, to those who are lost, it is foolish. In fact, later on in the epistle, Paul tells us that, actually I think it's in chapter 4 of his second epistle to the Corinthians, that the reason why they cannot comprehend, the reason why they see it as foolishness, the reason why the lost, that is the perishing, can't come to a place of understanding is that they've been blinded by the God of this world, Satan. Their understanding has been clouded. They just can't seem to grasp the reality like that spontaneous combustion theory that's out there. I don't know if you realize this. I've shared this with some of you before, that some people want to explain the resurrection of Jesus by saying that the conditions in the tomb were just right. The atmosphere, the right combination of herbs and everything on the body and all of that, that all of a sudden the body just spontaneously consumed itself. That is, it just dissipated into atoms. It's never happened before. 
No way to get it to happen again, but that's what happened. You know, it takes as much faith to believe that, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, isn't it? But the reason why that kind of theory is postulated is simply because nobody wants to believe that Jesus arose from the grave. Why? Because the cross to them is pure foolishness. Easter is foolishness. Who believes that kind of stuff but weak-minded people? You know, when I was a college student, I was in the National Guard, and we had a sergeant in there that was very antagonistic towards Christians, and his whole concept was is that Christianity was just for the drunks and the abused because they were weak-minded and didn't need anything else but a God. To them, to that person, and to a lot of people today, the cross is foolishness. Foolishness. But I want you to notice there's another view of the cross, and hopefully this is the view that you have today. Verse 18 says this, To us, it says, who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who truly believe, it's salvation. To those who truly believe. See, the message of the cross, Easter, to those who truly believe, it's your hope. It's your salvation. It's the forgiveness of your sins. It's your acceptance with God. See, because, you know, as I'm looking out over this crowd, I see most of us here are Gentiles. The Bible divides the world up into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. And I notice that most of us here, unless I, I some of you I don't know personally, but most of us here, we, we don't have any Jewish blood in our veins. We're all Gentiles. Well, according to the Old Testament, can I be honest with you, we were headed to hell. We were rejected by God. But the cross, the resurrection, Easter, changed all of that. That as we put our faith in what He has done for us, it is the power of God in our lives to bring us to salvation. It is the power of God to bring us to salvation. So to those who truly believe, it is salvation. It is salvation. So that's that next point I want you to see there. But I want you to notice something. Paul then tells us that even though one part of the world, that is most of the world, would look at it as foolishness because they can't comprehend it in their human wisdom. That's There's no way that someone could rise from the dead like that and no way that somebody could still be alive like that today. There's just no way that somebody could do all of that. And for the minority who believe it is salvation. Paul wants to show us in verses 19 through 20 the limits of human wisdom. He wants to show us that, you know what, because science can't prove it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. So I want you to notice with me the limits of human wisdom. First of all, 19 and 20, notice he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, for it is written, I, this is the Lord speaking, will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise, Paul writes? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The first thing I want you to notice about the, the limits of human wisdom is this, is that God confounds the wisdom of humanity. God confounds the wisdom of humanity. You know, we're, we're finite beings, and so as we look at things, we try to assess, we postulate theories concerning why certain things have happened. We can 
prove why certain things are happening, but there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we can't prove, but yet we'll sit here in our finite human wisdom and look and say, you can't believe that. That's foolishness. That's silly. That can't be proven by science. That couldn't possibly have happened. Any thinking, notice the word, thinking human being would recognize that that is an impossibility. But Paul tells us that God says that I will destroy the wisdom of men. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. What is he saying? That God makes all of the wisdom, if you've got all of the big brains in our world together in this room, God would confound the wisdom. God would prove them to be foolish. God would prove them to be foolish. Why? Verse 21 tells us, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Next thing I want you to notice about the limits of human wisdom. Human wisdom cannot understand God. Human wisdom can't understand God. You say, really, George? Is that just something you're coming up with on your own? No, just turn on your radio. Just turn on your TV. Whenever you bring up the issue of God with anyone in our public square today, it is immediately dismissed as that is not science. That is what? Religion. God has no place in science. God has no place in the public square because that's your personal belief. That's your faith. And you know what? The reason why they're acting that way is because of what Paul said. Because human wisdom and people who are governed by the wisdom of this world can't understand God. Because I'll be honest with you. God can't be proven scientifically. It can't happen. He exists whether we know it or not. And for the most part, most people exist as if he doesn't exist. But that doesn't change the fact that he does. And so God says that human wisdom can't understand him. It was interesting, you know, science is a serious thing. And don't get me wrong, I am not anti-scientific. At one time I was studying to be an engineer. And we need to study science, but... Can I be honest with you, while on one hand we will say silly things like Easter doesn't exist and God doesn't exist, we'll come up with some crazy ideas over here as being possibilities. Omni Magazine a few years ago had a contest for scientific theories. And here are some of the winners. Honorable mention. The quantity of consonants in the English language is constant. If omitted in one area, they will turn up in another area. For instance, when a Bostonian pocks his ka, the lost R's seem to migrate down south where a Texan will say, I'll wash my car and invest in an oil field. That was honorable mention. Second runner-up, when why yawning is contagious. You yawn to equalize pressure in your eardrums. The the pressure change outside your eardrum unbalances other people's ear pressure, so they must yawn to even it out also. Have you noticed that? That was second runner-up.
First runner-up. If an infinite number of rednecks riding in an infinite number of pickup trucks fire an infinite number of shotgun rounds at an infinite number of highway signs, they will eventually pr- produce the world's greatest literary works in Braille. That was not the winner. The grand prize winner theory was this. When a cat is dropped, it always lands on its feet. When a toast is dropped, it always lands on the buttered side facing down. I propose to strap buttered toast to the back of a cat. The two will hover, spinning inches above the ground. And with a giant butter cat array, a high-speed monorail could easily link New York with Chicago. (laughs) Few people understand the mysteries of science, the writer writes, but far more cannot understand the mysteries of God. Human wisdom can't understand God. We can understand toast and cats, but we can't understand God. What's he saying here? Verse 21, God uses the foolish to bring salvation. Notice what he says. It pleased God. Notice, this is what God, this is what God, you can almost see him sitting up there. Boy, I'll do this. It pleased God. What? Through the foolishness of the message priest preached to save those who believe. God says, I'm going to take that which the world thinks is foolish. And that will be the basis of their salvation. And that's the significance of Easter. When you think about Easter and why we are here and why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the worst of the world says that's pure foolishness that you would believe that. But he says, I would take that which the world sees as foolish and bring you salvation. Bring you salvation. Verse 22 to 25 then tells us the greatness of the cross. The greatness of the cross. Look with me first of all to verse 22 and 23. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. First thing I want you to notice about the greatness of the cross is this. The world rejects the cross. The world rejects it. Do you remember just a couple years ago when Mel Gibson came out with his Passion of Christ? And before the movie ever even hit the theaters, it was all over, all over the news shows, all over the talk shows, uh, people arguing about the movie, and they fell basically in two lines of thinking. The Jews were upset. They saw it was anti-Semitic. They were just irritated with it. And then the rest of the world thought, who in the world would write a movie that would be that foolish to talk about? And as I was listening to it unfolding on my radio, and as I was listening to it unfolding over the Internet, and the argument of TV and everything that these guys were making about the movie of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and His resurrection... My mind went to this passage. Notice what it says here, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, what? To the Jews, a stumbling block. 
What do you mean a stumbling block? What does he mean by that? Well, see, to them, their Messiah, they could never comprehend a Messiah who would be crucified. To this day, that's not even their comprehension. They reject Jesus. So to them, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, which is the rest of us, Gentiles, foolishness. Why would you believe something like that? The world rejects the cross. The world rejects the cross. Can I just make a side note here? You're at work, you're, you're working with friends, or you've got family members, and they just can't understand your Jesus, they can't understand your faith, they, can't understand, they, they don't want to have anything to do with it, can I be honest with you? Nothing's weird about that. What you're facing is normal. Why? Because the world rejects the cross. The world rejects Jesus. The world rejects God. Why? Because to them it's pure foolishness. To them it's pure foolishness. The other thing I want you to notice here, verse 24, he goes ahead and tells us the greatness of the cross. He says this, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The cross is the power and wisdom of God. You know why we celebrate Easter? You know why we gather and, and, and make this a special time of the year? Because everything that it represents represents the power and wisdom of God. The power of His salvation. The power of His redemption. The power of His acceptance of you. The power of His forgiveness. All represented in the cross. All represented in a resurrected Savior. That's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why you have hope to go on another day. Paul says this earlier in, early on in chapter 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, he said that we of all men would be most pitiful. That we might as well just go out and live each day like there's no tomorrow. But my friends, when you trust in Jesus Christ, it's power. It's a power that I'm going to live for eternity with Him. He accepts me and forgives me. It's power. The cross is the power and wisdom of God. But also notice verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The cross is greater than the wisdom of men. The cross is greater than the wisdom of men. Listen, if you and I had to come up with, maybe it was a sign to us to come up with a way to bring salvation to the world, the way to deal with everyone's sin, we, you know, if we, if, we, if we just sat down and decided on ways to do that, we would come up with some very elaborate things to do. We would, you know, come up, but none of us would ever come up with a concept of putting somebody on a cross to die a cruel death in our place. None of us would ever come up with a concept of sacrificing our own for the sake of someone else. That's foolishness. But see, God uses the foolish to bring salvation. And what does Paul say? His foolishness is greater than all of our wisdom. His foolishness 
is greater than all of our wisdom. Here's three things I want you to think about as we bring a close to our message here and and our thoughts about the foolishness of Easter. The first one is this. How do you view the cross? What's your concept of Easter? Are you here today because you realize that it is the message of salvation for you? Or deep down in your heart, are you here because while you believe it's silliness, you want to make somebody happy by being here? How do you view the cross? How do you view the sacrifice of Jesus? How do you view it? Is it power for your life? Is it the forgiveness that you need for the sins in your life? Is it the acceptance with God that you never felt before on your own? How do you do it? You've got to ask yourself that question. Don't answer it. Don't, don't say that, you know, this is my view of the cross. No, no. You just ask yourself. You don't need to worry about it. Nobody's going to ask you. But in the, in the deepness darkest part of your heart where it's just you nobody else because no mind readers in here understand I can't read minds you can't read minds your husband or wife maybe thinks they can read your mind but they can't just in the deepness of your heart there how how do you view the cross how do you view Easter how do you view the reality of Jesus rising from the dead is it real to you or is it Really, if you're being honest, just the silly little tale. How do you view the cross? The second thing is this. Have you allowed it to impact your life? Have you allowed what happened 2,000 years ago to affect your life? Have you allowed it to to really impact who you are. The reality that someone would go to the cross and die for me. And to know that He didn't just die for me, He arose again. And that He brings forgiveness. That He brings acceptance with God. That He lives within your heart. He's alive. Have you allowed that to impact your life? Or is it just that this is just one of the things I do a week and I live the rest of my life like I want to, but I'm doing my Sunday thing? See, it should impact every part of your life, shouldn't it? Finally, embrace it. Embrace the cross. What do you mean by embrace it? You want me to come up here and hug it? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Embrace it means that you accept what He has done for you with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. You realize that it's true that while the rest of the world thinks it's foolish and the rest of the world thinks you're nuts for embracing it, You embrace it for your life because you realize you need it. Thank you for being with us this morning. 
And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.